Wait, we're behind. You're behind. That was way off. <laughs> A podcast that talks about AAC on a weekly basis. What is Talking With Tech? Correct, Rachel. 500 points. <laughs> Amazing. Why have we shifted to, to Jeopardy? Uh, well, Jeopardy is such a fun game, and I, mean, I grew up with it. I'm sure you grew up with it. Many of our listeners grew up with it. And the real reason is, later on in this episode, we're going to be talking to the star of Jeopardy, Sean Sweeney. <laughs> You guys, did you know that we had our very own SLP in Jeopardy? And it was amazing. Sean Sweeney's awesome. And um, he talks about his Jeopardy experience on the podcast, right? Yeah. You know, if you're listening here and you're like, I don't know who Sean Sweeney is. I don't know what Jeopardy is. Well, okay. You can find Google Jeopardy. But Sean Sweeney is speech techie. He was a speech language pathologist. He is a speech language pathologist. But I say was because he was one of the original um, speech language pathologists that started a blog when blogging first came out. He keeps up with it today, um, providing different insights into how to use technology and integrate it into your therapy. Or maybe a better way of thinking of it is how do you integrate your therapy with technology? And this leads perfectly into what I want to talk to you today, Chris, about because we got a question about how do I differentiate between an app and a system, right? So we're oftentimes talking a lot about AAC on this podcast. We're talking about AAC systems. We're talking about AAC apps. Um, you know, how do we differentiate the two? Yeah, exactly. If there was a Jeopardy question about system versus uh, app, you know, it would be like an app to help someone learn language. What would you say could be the answer there? Why there would be a lot of apps that I could say. Yeah, right. What it, what is Lamp Words for Life? Exactly. What is Proloquota Go? What is Touch Chat with Word Power? What is Speak for Yourself? Right. There'd be a lot of answers because the, the the way it was phrased was an app, right? But the question is, what about a system? You know, a system for how could you even answer that? How because it would be not just one app; it would be an app plus all the other different modalities someone might use to communicate. So the gestures, um, uh, there would eye gaze, uh, facial gestures, hand gestures, uh, low tech, like a, like a keyboard, um, like a, a letter board or a keyboard or a QWERTY keyboard on your phone or, or a QWERTY keyboard on your iPad or a QWERTY keyboard on your computer. All of those are different tools that you help you communicate, which might make up, you know, which might make up a larger part of your system. Yeah. And I feel like we know from AAC users who are adults that it's not just one it's not just one app, right? And I think we kind of get hung up in this idea of like, we need to find the perfect app or, you know, system. And we know that AAC users themselves have lots of different kind of modalities of communication that they cycle in and out of. And so I think it's a really good reminder that we can set up lots of, lots of different, um, you know, AAC options and help our learners figure out what, when to use which thing and also open it up to lots of flexibility around it um, instead of getting hyper-focused on one specific 
app. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, you're going to hear this in, uh, I can't remember if it's this part of the episode or the next part, because we talked to Sean for a while, so we decided to break this up into two episodes. But one of the things that he he mentions is that uh, what you don't see in the final version of the edited show of Jeopardy is that sometimes there's discussion about this. So you certainly know there's judges that might come in, but that all gets edited out, right? And uh, he said that sometimes like there would be a phrase that, that goes up and then someone would answer it, and that wouldn't be the answer the judges or the, the person who wrote the question thought, uh, wrote the answer, and then the question is so hard to talk about it. But, you know, didn't they didn't have the right response that they were going for. And so a committee then got together and said, hmm, well, okay, is that right? I mean, could there is this, is their answer? They Do they earn the points because that could have been the right answer um that could have been a response that actually matched the phrase that we were going for so uh and then of course all that it is is edited out but that's exactly a parallel to choosing a system uh a more global system or a particular app is what we're going for here as a committee thinking about what are the uh different tools and strategies that will help create the entire system for somebody and I think it also kind of lends itself to this idea that it's a team-based approach, right? Which we're always talking about AAC in, you know, in teams. It's not just one person choosing a system, um, really using the set framework, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is just how do we get teams on board, um, thinking about all the different specifics um, that we need to know about a student to then collectively figure out what tool uh, we can use. And, you know, that's something that we should keep in mind, not just during the assessment phase, but also just all along. You know, we know if we can support communication partners in the implementation of AAC, um, then, you know, our students will make more progress. And so just really making that at the, putting that at the forefront of our minds um, is just being super collaborative in, in, in general. Um, and I think when we're like trying to decide, you know, maybe we need a new support, not to say that the old, you know, app or the current app is is something that we don't keep supporting, but maybe we need to add something in addition to that. Again, I just want to kind of encourage all of our listeners to think a little outside the box and to not get stuck in this idea that like everything has to happen on one app um, or one board or, or something like that. It's like we can really open that up and talk with our team about what makes the most sense for our learners. So I have a really practical story about that that just literally happened today. So um, one of the special ed supervisors that I work with uh, sends me a tech message. Are you available right now? And I was like, for you? Always, you know. <laughs> and she's like, okay. I, all of a sudden my phone starts ringing. Uh, Chris, we're on a break in a big, big meeting. And suddenly the, uh, not just her, her, but there's a room full of administrators, right? Uh, they all come on. You're on speakerphone. Chris, here's the situation. Uh, we've got a student that is uh, their iPad is not lasting through the day. And uh, it's an AAC application, or it's an AAC tool. They want to use the iPad for AAC, um, but it's not lasting. What do we do? Uh, let's brainstorm. And I said, well, okay, I mean, there's probably something wrong with the iPad. Let's make sure we got a new iP iPad there first. Like, wait, wait, let's clarify. The day means from the second they wake up to the second they go to go to sleep. And of course, I was on the phone. No one could see me, but I was fist bumping and jumping up in the air like, yes, you're considering the entire day, not just the school day. Um, but uh, the administrators I work with are really good that way. Um, so it's like, OK, well, here's the thing. 
you're, we're thinking this is the one tool they'll use all day. Um, and of course, we want that to be available, right? So let's brainstorm. Let's make sure the settings, make sure it can go through all day. Like, what can we turn off? What can we turn on? There's some technical things we could do. Um, we could make sure the iPad is gonna is updated enough that it's going to hold the charge. Um, but we could be looking at multiple tools sometimes, you know, it wouldn't just be one tool. Um, and that's getting back to this systems approach is like, you know, I, I know the, the kid is likely going to be taking a shower or a bath in the afternoon, right? And you bring in the iPad in there, what's the, maybe that's the time it could be charging while you're using, again, a, a, a a core board, a, um, uh, a letter board, or multiple things, right? It doesn't even have to be one thing. It could be multiple things. So let's talk about that day. Look at the schedules. And then it was like, well, we got to get back to the meeting. So we don't have time to do all that. But that's a great suggestion. Let's look at all the different times in between and not just get hyper-focused on the one tool all day long. It's what's the system going to be all day long. Yeah, I feel like that makes perfect sense. And just one other thing is having those external battery chargers can be a game changer for families and that's something I'm oftentimes recommending because we know devices die um, and so having that in a student's backpack can be really really helpful for those moments where oh like we're about to lose a charge um, and I'll add you know, you can incorporate students into the charging process because what oftentimes happens is we as adults see, oh my gosh, the iPad's dying or the device is dying and we go and charge it instead of incorporating students into that process to teach them, look, we're about to die. You know, we need to go find a charger. Let's go find one together. Look, we found one. Let's plug it in, right? There's core language there and we're teaching kids how to take care of their technology, which is an operational competency skill that I feel like we don't talk about enough. Yeah, well, and then on top of that, because all of that, yes, and um, choosing a tool in the first place. What's the right tool for this particular job? You know, now in most cases, in many cases, we're going to want that primary language system that we're working on, but not always. There might be times that that a different tool would be the one that's necessary. And which case, uh, you know, just for the particular task. So in which case then, you know, it's helping the person select what's the right tool, you know, and giving them the options. And we've done stuff like that with, um, so so imagine a choice board, right? But instead of a choice board used as a, some sort of behavioral control awfulness, right? Let's say it was a, here are some options of tools you could use to attack this. One of them, whatever the task might be, one of them could be your iPad. Another one could be this letter board. Another one could be the core board. Another one could be a paper pencil and you're going to write it or type it and now you get to choose the tool from this menu and then reflect on it afterwards yeah okay so you chose that um, now i know that's very meta and somewhere we're headed but i think that's the mentality we want to be having is helping the individual choose what works for them for as part of their to develop that entire system bringing that back around full circle helping them develop their entire system i love it chris before we head into the interview I would love to encourage our listeners to go leave us a review on iTunes. If you love this podcast and you've been listening to it and you're like, yes, Chris and Rachel, they really helped me with AAC. We would love to hear from you. So go to iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And we love reading them. It kind of helps uh, give us a little boost and bump when we're like, is anybody out there? Is anybody listening? Uh, to hear, you know, the impact this podcast has made is super, super, you know, motivating for us. And we also, you know, know that that's how people will find this podcast. The more reviews that we get, the more, you know, accessible this is to educators and clinicians and parents. Um, and so we would really appreciate it if you go to iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you. 
Also, head over to speechtechie.com and leave a comment on a blog post about how you heard about the blog from our podcast, the Talking With Tech podcast. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, we're heading into the interview that we did with Sean Sweeney. My name is Lance McLemore, and I am a team member with Impact Voices. AAC users make up a very small percentage of the population. We are scattered, isolated, and rarely or never get to meet anyone like us. This makes it difficult to impossible to have a community. Impact Voices helps to fill in that gap. Impact Voices is a non-profit organization who supports, empowers, and connects AAC users worldwide. Impact Voices connects AAC users together to empower them to make an impact in their community. Impact Voices creates a space where AAC users of different abilities and experience come together to talk, laugh, encourage each other, and enjoy the company of others like ourselves. For more information on Impact Voices and to get involved, visit our website, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Chris Bougay, which is always, he's always here. <laughs> How's it we going, also have Good. We also have Sean Sweeney here. Hello. Thank you hey, for having Sean. me. Yeah, we're really with you both. We're really excited. The last time we were all together was was it HAA? Uh, or Asha. 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 Oh my gosh, Asha, that feels like where were we? DC. DC. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. But um Sean and I, I don't know, Rachel, do you how, how do you know Sean? I know Sean through you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because Sean and I, I guess we should start there, Sean, is that you and I go way, way back, right? Um, but I guess, wait, I'm jumping the gun. Let's let's introduce you to people who might not know who Sean Sweeney is. So, Sean, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what your background is, all that kind of stuff? Sure. I'm a speech and language pathologist, and along the way, I became an instructional tech specialist as well. Um, and I worked for many years in the public schools outside of Boston uh, in Newton, Mass., and uh, when I veered into being an instructional tech specialist, actually, at a middle school, I got kind of, you know, to be missing my day-to-day job of a speech pathologist. And so I started a blog uh, called Speech Techie because uh, before that I was like live journaling because I was a cool, that kind of cool person. Uh, and... Uh, I decided I'll just, you know, bore the ed tech world with my observations uh, and started just writing about um, things that I encountered uh, or that I had used along the way as an elementary uh, based uh, SLP, like interactive websites. This was pre iPad. Um, and uh, then when the iPad came out, apps, uh, of course. And so I keep doing that uh, 11 years later. Uh, kind of sometimes more frequently than others but that path has led me to you know do some presentations around uh, around the country uh, internationally if you count canada 
Uh, and uh, yes, we count Canada. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the blog's named after anyone who's interested in integrating technology uh, in their work. Uh, I continue working now uh, at what was first my after school job at the Ely Center in Needham, Mass. And we are a social communication focused um, center, and I do. Uh, a lot of language therapy there as well, and a lot of consultations to schools uh, during the day when students are, aren't available to be coming in, uh, and evaluations and stuff like that. Um, so that's sort of my mix of things that I do. I also yeah. work at Boston University now um, doing some uh, graduate, uh, graduate student supervision, uh, which I took on this year because a lot of that presentation stuff hasn't quite come back yet. Um, so I'm keeping myself busy in other ways. Yeah. So speech techie is, I think that's how we got connected back in the day, Sean, right? Is that mm -hmm. uh, you were writing a blog. I was doing a podcast. There weren't that many speech language pathologists back when social media was just coming out um, yep. that were like stepping into that space. And so there was like, Hey, there's Sean and there's Chris. And so we sort of connected that way. Is that my remember? Now we've just been friends so, for so long. I don't really remember like when we first met. Well, I think it was, I went to your presentation at ASHA in Philadelphia in some year, you know, probably, uh, what is it now? It may be something like 2012-ish. Uh, yeah. Um, and so we connected, you know, through that. So, um, yeah, know, but we, didn't we, we know each other the... virtually first before? Or you think... Probably like a Twitter. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, I think, I think probably through Twitter and, uh, and those channels when people are starting to connect through, um, who, you know, who was writing blogs and, um, as, as you were, and you, uh, you had your podcast and, uh, all that great stuff going on. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, actually, Rachel, I don't know if you know this, but we worked with Barbara Fernandez to create an app together, uh, mm -hmm. AT of Al to go. It's no longer available, but, uh, we had a great time building that, that app together, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It was a nice reporting app, um, uh, that we worked hard figuring out exactly, you know, what fields we wanted to have and what the report was going to look like. And, um, it was pretty cool. In the days of skeuomorphism, it looked like a book, you know, yeah. where everything looked like something else uh, that kind of went out of fashion and design. But uh, <laughs> I recall that well. Yeah, absolutely. Tabs. Um, <laughs> yeah, like a three ring binder sort of yes. feel to it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but now, so so most recently, though, where, where you have uh, caught some more celebrity is that you were on television <laughs> recently on yes. a game show, a little game show. I don't know if many people heard of it called Jeopardy. Right? So can you tell us about your Jeopardy experience? Oh, absolutely. I've been a Jeopardy fan for as long as I can remember since high school. And uh, it's just always been kind of a thing that quiz part of me. And uh, I've always loved trivia made my parents buy me all these trivia books and such uh when i was young and uh once they started doing the online test the uh the jeopardy online test you used to have to like travel to los angeles to take even like the first level of of the test uh and once they started doing that um about six years ago i started taking it annually and um this past june I realized, you know, kind of 
mid pandemic or wherever we were uh, that I hadn't done it in like a year. And my husband, Chris was out playing softball on his weeknight league. And I'm like, eh, I'll take it now. Um, so I did that. Didn't think anything of it. And um, about a month later, uh, I get an email saying like, you made it to the next level. And this is the first time I'd ever made it past that, uh, that test thing. I think it's kind of a combination of like, how you score and also luck at the draw, you know, there must be something else that they're, they're doing there um, to figure out who goes, who goes next, maybe some element of randomness. They won't really ever say. Um, but so then uh, I took the, another online test in a zoom uh, of like uh, 30 people uh, speaking of technology and optimizing technology for yourself, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I would say a good one third of the people didn't even turn on a light, you know, and it's like, this is still, we're nerds. Yeah. But this is an audition for television, you know, yeah. <laughs> try, try to look your best, say hello to the person facilitating the session. Um, you know, so I did try to do some of those things, took the test, heard uh, a few, Oh, a few weeks later, um, uh, kind of like our, um, our ASHA, Remember how our ASHA notifications all went to spam um, that that round? Uh, my Jeopardy re my Jeopardy next level invite went to spam and I I missed it, um, and um, so I I cried and then I uh, I emailed them and they said oh you can do next week so that one was nine people and I, uh, nine people that were all professors except for me I think because the professors tournament that was coming up and. Um, we played a mock game uh, and about it, you know, about a month later, I got the call that I call it the call. Uh, your phone rings, says Los Angeles. I'm like, Oh, wait. Uh, and uh, they said, we'd like you to be here in a month. And I said, okay. Uh, and I went out, went out there and um, you know, that's that you, they tape five games in a day uh, to, to my unfortunate luck, uh, when I arrived there, Amy Schneider was on her historic uh, streak. So that's who I played and uh, did my best. Uh, came out better than I remembered. And, um, you know, since then, it's just been <laughs> moving on. <laughs> The you know how many stages of grief? Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Kubler Ross, uh, many, but uh, yeah, no, it was just such a great experience. Of, you know, seeing the way they they put it together and um, the stage itself, and um, getting to getting to play the game, and uh, I I think uh, it. It came out, it finally aired in uh, January and uh, it was during a tough time for everyone because like Omicron was surging. Everyone was like sick and <laughs> people needed something to look forward to. So like I heard a lot from people on Facebook, like we really enjoyed kind of following you. You know, I leaned into it and I posted a lot of like, so, you know, here we're, here we're finally at the day. And um, so I think that 
that was a nice connection with people during a time where people were a little bit less connected. Oh, Sean, I have to 100% agree with that. I remember when uh, you sh shared the link after, like, today's the day, it's out, right? And um, <laughs> and Rachel and I were texting back and forth and sharing the link, did you get it? And then we were like, uh, we didn't like watch it together. I mean, we were, we were watching it separately, but together, like texting back and forth. <laughs> remember that, yeah. Rachel? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I was like, go, Sean, go, go, Sean, go. Because we saw you at Asha and you couldn't really tell us anything. Right. And so I was like on the edge of my seat wondering like, what's going to happen. <laughs> and that was like a week after a tape. So I probably looked like completely like a ghost and <laughs> still very dear in the headlights about the entire experience. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it took a while. It was funny. It was, it was preempted in my own market. So like you all were, everyone outside of Boston was watching it. And in Boston, it didn't air till 2.30 AM um, on that day because of a, a Patriots, you know, preview show, stupid Patriots. <laughs> oh um, man. And so, uh, you know, I had to just be telling everyone like dvr it dvr it and i downloaded it on um with clip uh clip grab downloaded off of its illegal version on youtube so i at least have a digital version for for people who didn't see it and uh, uh maybe it'll be maybe it'll be a rerun at a normal hour in in boston this season at some point <laughs> can you tell us some uh some fun behind the scenes i know that like maybe some of it's secret but like what oh, can you share behind the scenes jeopardy they already sent me my check so i, I i'll tell all <laughs> tell us everything my humongous check <laughs> not quite uh you know it um behind the scenes you you go through a briefing there's a lot of, there was a lot of covid stuff you know around mm -hmm. um, they were very careful um we had to get tested before we went we got tested when we arrived um and then um they keep you very separate we spent a chunk of the day on the wheel of fortune set doing a briefing um but there was like a big like drape over the actual wheel so i didn't like, get to see the wheel um and um, that's when that's when I sort of discovered, hmm, there's someone who's sort of sitting apart from all of these us us contestants that have just shown up with deer in the headlights. And she looks pretty confident over there. I wonder who that is. <laughs> who is that? <laughs> that was Amy. Uh, and so yeah, they take you over. You do a rehearsal, um, which is great because then you get some practice on actually buzzing in. They kind of teach you how to play the. You know, you could think of it as a humongous video game, really. And I think if you're a gamer, you have an advantage, uh, you know, to this because of the, the timing is just everything. Um, and timing on the buzzer is is everything because, you know, as I said, like most most Jeopardy players kind of know the whole board, <laughs> you know, probably would be able to respond, but it's more uh, a, a a timing thing. So, but they let you they let you rehearse that, which is cool. Um, did pretty did really well in rehearsals, so that built up um, my confidence, and then um, I just uh, you know watched four games before mine, which was a blast. I really enjoyed, you know, being able to, to see those, uh, see those games play out. And, um, in a way it was kind of like its own, own practice as well. Uh, and then uh, they pick you kind of at, at random for each game. So I was just kind of on the cusp of like being wrapped over into the next day. Um, which I don't know, that might've been good. might've been bad. Um, uh, but I ended up, 
playing with a teacher from uh, Long Island, uh, New York, and we've become actually a bunch of my tape day friends, you know, connected over Facebook Messenger, and we talk all the time. And that was critical in the the two months between when you tape and when you air, because you're kind of going through a little bit of a, you know, a psychological landscape that isn't Spiral. wonderful. <laughs> um, uh, when you finally see your episode, you're you, you generally are like, oh. I didn't remember any of this. <laughs> I blacked out during that entire experience. No, it's, a, it's almost, it's almost just like that, Rachel. It is wow. like a black, it's like a blackout. Um, and it turns out there's some neurological uh, reasons for that, but um, you know, in everyone that experiences that, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, technically there's some cool things. Um, you know, people are always asking, you know, some people have frankly, you know, not well-informed questions like do they give you the questions to study beforehand or do they give you the categories and it's like is it everything no. a lie <laughs> no <laughs> of course they don't <laughs> it's just you have to know everything in the world uh and um uh one of the coolest things is when there's a when there's a um someone answers and then they might challenge the judge's ruling on what they said and then um, they'll, they'll stop, uh, they'll stop the taping at a, you know, at a break and they make everyone turn around from the board because like the board's active. Mm -hmm. So you could be planning like where you were going to go mm -hmm. and they figure that out and then they return and they'll like, actually we credited your response as, you know, or, you know, sometimes they take away. Uh, but so that happened a couple of times during the day. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, there's so much coolness to it. It was great to to get a glimpse of the behind the behind the curtain. We didn't have an audience. We were just our own audience because you know COVID. But um, we, I think that was part of what helped us kind of bond. Uh, so, we, we, sorry, well, go ahead. No, Sean, I have a, some some follow up questions on some of the stuff that you just said there. So, mm -hmm. the, let's start with the the buzzer. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, if you hit it too early, does it lock you out? So you exactly. Have to wait? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So they kind of train you. They, you know, what they say is um, you can look for the two lights. There's two big lights that flash on either side of the board. Um, so when you're, when you are able to buzz in the lights flash, meaning the clue has been completely read. Um, so there's no way to interrupt the clue. And in fact, if you buzz in too early, you are locked out by a quarter of a second which virtually you know unless it would be otherwise a triple stumper uh which virtually locks you out from responding to that or that the person might get it wrong and it might rebound to you which would give you another chance but um and so the producer kind of described this too you could time it off the the last syllable of the clue um, and sort of slide into clicking in. And I never understood the way she was explaining that. Um, and they do give you feedback too. So they try to help you. Like if you're during rehearsal and in your actual game, if you are buzzing in too early, then, you know, the producer will come over and go, you're in, she said to me, you're anticipating, you know, like you're going a little bit too early. And that did help me because in Double Jeopardy, I kind of got more on the rhythm of it. So 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, game. yeah. So that it just sort of begs the question of like of of timing it all and practicing mm. before you left. Did you like when you're when we're playing at home, right? You can yell out the answer before they're finished reading it, you know. Um, yeah. And so, did you think to practice it all like that? Like, oh, I'm going to try and tap my thigh or press a button or have a pencil and pretend that's in my buzzer or something like that. All of the above. Yeah, <laughs> I would sometimes be, you know, just so I didn't drive my husband crazy i wasn't always using a pen but uh uh you know i would do do the tap or you know uh and i was doing that while i was there in the audience too i probably could have done more of that (laughs) uh of of everything just realizing the the importance of it there's um there are books written about this you know uh i think there's one called secrets of the buzzer uh and uh, so for anyone who gets the opportunity, I'd say prepare with that is a, is an important thing. So the other thing I wanted to point out about was, so, uh, there's, there's the lights that help you indicate when the, when you could click the buzzer, but you said mm-hmm. like slide in on that last syllables with the advice they gave you. And to mm-hmm. me, it's, there's an analogy here for this, for our podcast is that there's a lot of educators out there that use tools that are sort of like quiz game tools. Kahoot yep. comes to mind or Blook it are, are two that are very popular. And so often what I see is teachers don't read it out loud. And so we're asking people to, to, or asking students to what you're really measuring when you give those sorts of quiz show games, if you don't read the question out loud is you're measuring the reading ability, not necessarily the yeah. content or a combination of things, right? It's, so you think of Jeopardy as a trivia game, which of course it is, but it's a combination of lots of skills, you know, it's, yep. it's yep. listening, it's uh, then sliding in and hitting it at the right moment. Um, and of course, knowing the content and dealing with the pressure, right? So yeah, 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 there's a lot of self-regulation stories I did with my students about the pressure, because I think I've never, ever been as nervous in my life as I was then. And it was just sort of this feeling of like, you know, wow, I'm managing this. And it didn't, you know, I looked nervous, fine, you know, on the, on the broadcast, but, um, you know, it's like a, it's like a verge of panic situation. <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot, but you're exactly right. I mean, there's so many good tools that I always think of quiz in a speech and language therapy context or an educational context as, you know, it's like a structured conversation. Um, and so the questions and answers could be, you know, you can paste that so that we can be talking about all of the things that you know, we connect to as you read each question. So I often use quizzes, you know, with my students in a, in a way to foster conversation and also, you know, those kinds of, you know, growth mindset things of like, yeah, let's take a quiz that you might not know everything about because you actually learn things from, from, you know, going through this. So, um, yeah, I like, I love bamboozle too. Have you used that one? I, yeah. I have, but I've only yeah. ever like uh, just seen it. You know what I mean? I haven't yeah. used it myself. It's and nice. quizzes, quizzes is another one that people seem to like with two Z's and two Z's. So quiz, Z's. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it in the quiz, show notes. Quizzes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, something fun. else you mentioned, Sean, as uh, something my son Tucker was just experiencing as well. So he had just had intense, like just before we started recording, you were saying that Chris, your husband is um, a teacher and he does, he's right now he's got AP tests going on. Well, Tucker, my son is just took a bunch of AP tests and then he, in between the AP tests, he had uh, the SATs in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the SATs, 
he comes home and I was like, Hey, how, you know, like every, everyone, how'd it go? I'm like, we, well, you know, he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how did it feel? You know? And he's like, I don't know. I go, okay. Tell me one question that was on the test that you felt really good about, you know, give me something. He's like, I re- dad, I really can't remember any of it. And it sort of hints at what you were just saying is that like, there's this cognitive load, this pressure that when you're intense caught, co- intensely thinking about something or an intense moment like that, that there is this amnesia that happens. You said there's some research behind it. Yeah. Well, there was a recent article. It's really kind of more of a, it was sort of a forward to an issue of um, uh, a journal called uh, current psychiatry. Um, And I caught wind of it because after the jeopardy experience, um, the Jeopardy crowd likes to hang out together a lot. Um, so there's various, you know, venues. And so I'm in this Facebook group that's, you know, Jeopardy contestants and there's a Twitter community. And in any case, it was through the Jeopardy contestant group that someone posted the link to this. Um, and it was called uh, the neurobiology of Jeopardy champions. It was written by a Dr. Uh, Nasrallah. Uh, and it would be really interesting for any Jeopardy fan, speech pathologist, or, you know, even just speech pathologists to, to check out because um uh he talks about how with um with with the champs and this is sort of written in the context of this season has been a bunch of super champs so there was you know before amy there was matt amodio and then following amy there was um there was uh, matea roach um who's canadian and she she got up to like uh 22 games um and so having this, you know, frequency of these streaks is pretty uh, notable. Um, but he talked about, you know, the hippocampus, of course, it's, you know, uh, where we, uh, you know, where we all, you know, retain information and we have to pull from it from there. And um, just being able to actually learn from encountering facts and, you know, kind of integrate it with your own biological knowledge is the the process of growing these little dendritic spines, you know, so it's actually the stuff, you know, becomes physically part of your brain, which is so interesting. You know, the frontal lobes involved with, you know, maintaining your concentration and attention, you know, he says jeopardy champions, um, which I'm not, but that's fine. I have some of these things, I guess, uh, uh, are, are very well myelinated. So, uh, for, uh, to maximize our, uh, you know, the processing speed, of course, Broca's area comes into, uh, play for generating a language to answer. And then, you know, your speed reflexes super important on the buzzer, just being able to time it just right and having that reflex um it's something that i just you know wasn't quite uh prepared for how important that would be uh, but also like your visual areas because that as you were saying the the reading um being able to read ahead on a clue uh i think is really critical so that you're kind of reading ahead of the of the host so you're already thinking like that's what this question is and there's so much like syntax stuff too with Jeopardy clues because often there is you know either a syntax or or a semantics piece of you know there's a multiple meaning going on here or you know the the syntax is by by its very nature convoluted you know because they're wording it such that you're answering in the form of a question. Um, um, so yeah, all of that is like uh, very interestingly you know, neurobiologically related, but like you said, with Tucker, you know, uh, we, uh, actually one of my tape day friends wrote to the, 
to this uh, this professor and said, "Can you explain why none of us remember our games?" Um, because why did we black out? <laughs> yeah, why did we black out? All right, we weren't drunk, uh, so why? Why did we black out? And he said it was around that dendritic spine thing that when you're constant, when you're in a situation where you're constantly going through this cycle of encountering language, deciphering it, trying to pull, um, trying to pull the answer, um, all your capacity is on that. So you may not be growing those memories of the actual experience. Um, so a lot of us get to our episode and find you know, three or four instances of, hmm, I wonder who answers that one. <laughs> oh, it was me, you know? Um, and you don't, you don't know. Cause as far as I, I, I left there going, I didn't even register in that game. Like I didn't answer anything, <laughs> you know, like, and that was my memory of it. So that becomes its own little, like little form of trauma that you deal with for a few months until you see it, you know, and I hate to say that because it's an extreme privilege to appear on Jeopardy, not only in the, not only in the sense of just getting there and getting picked in, it's a privilege to appear, but like, you kind of have to be privileged to appear on, on Jeopardy. You have to have had the leisure time to spend all this, you know, all, all this energy learning dumb facts and you know and and you literally have to fund your own way there um you know so you know there's a lot of people that um it would be great to get there who maybe don't have the the opportunity um but yeah so once you see it you can re-evaluate your story of it <laughs> that's that's a real reassuring thing <laughs>